um, for the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about growing for greatness. Growing for greatness. We spend a lot of time worrying about who is the greatest. Uh, if you ever want to start a, a nice argument amongst a bunch of men, you can talk about who's the greatest athlete and who's the greatest singer and whomever. We argue over who is the greatest. <clears throat> so, there's a movie that came out in 1990. It was called Firebirds. It was starring Nicolas Cage and Tommy Lee Jones. Firebirds was about a joint task force of the DEA and the US Army coming together to take out a Colombian drug cartel. This particular drug cartel had a helicopter pilot that was guarding the base. And so anytime anybody got too close to the drug cartel's base, their helicopter pilot would take them out. So the task force decided to upgrade the type of helicopter they were using, Lieutenant Colonel. They decided to try something new. Uh, if you're going to be great, you're going to have to do some things you haven't done before. They say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So the task force in the movie, they made changes. They upgraded their equipment and they upgraded the people handling the equipment. One of my favorite scenes in the movie Firebirds is uh, uh, Nicolas Cage's character who was playing a, a top-notch pilot. He gets to test the new equipment in a simulation. And every time in the simulation when he starts flying this brand new helicopter around, every time he hits something, he says, I am the greatest. Knocks out a tank, I am the greatest. Knocks out another take, I am the greatest. And he keeps getting louder and louder each time he says it. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. His superiors are watching him and they're like, yeah, he's a pretty good pilot. And the whole time they're watching him in the simulation, he's knocking out tanks. And they stepped the game up and had him knock out uh other helicopters and he knocked those out just fine. I am the greatest. I am the greatest because he's a good helicopter pilot and flying helicopters is what he does and he has no qualms telling you he's the greatest. But then they upgraded it again because see what was going on with these new helicopters was they required you to put a, a piece of glass over your eye so that computer information could come into your eye while you still flew the plane. And so in order to do that, this Apache helicopter, it was more than just a regular helicopter. And this glass eyepiece 
put the computer information in one eye while you flew with the other. Turns out that in the movie, this A1 pilot had what they call an eye dominance problem. It's a common issue where one eye is actually stronger than the other. Those of us who wear prescriptions would know that one, our eyes are not both perfect. One is stronger than the other, which is okay in, in, in regular life, but it's not necessarily okay to fly this type of helicopter. The pilot wanted to be the greatest. He had to do something different. And the pilot struggled with the new information at first, so the movie became about the teachers helping him become the greatest and understanding what it really meant to be the greatest. Uh, the same thing that happened with this pilot in the movie Firebirds is taking place in the text with Jesus and the disciples. Uh, we are about halfway through the gospel according to Mark in chapter 9 and midway through the gospel according to Mark we have had a midterm exam of court of sorts and Jesus asked the disciples who do you say I am or who do men say that I am first and then they asked who do you say I am and the disciples had the right answer but they didn't have the right reasoning and just like a teacher gives you a midterm to see how much you have learned and then if there are things that you need to improve upon they will adjust the course to give you what you need Jesus had to adjust the course he had to correct their understanding Jesus modified what was going on so that they can get a better understanding. The disciples knew that Jesus was the Christ. He was the anointed one. He was the Savior, but they didn't really understand what that meant. Just in chapter 9 alone, before we got to the part that was read in your hearing, they had seen the transfiguration. Well, Peter, James, and John had seen the transfiguration, and then there was a boy healed, and the disciples could not get the demon out. And they had to go back to Jesus for some help. They thought they had had it, knowing that Jesus was the Messiah. And they thought they had had it by hanging around him, but they still needed a little bit more help. So then after that, they start walking along the way, and they start arguing over who is the greatest. Because they are in on the ground floor, as they say. They are in on day one. They are in, they have front row seats, courtside to the action. So Jesus is here to tell them what that really means. This is VIP access to the kingdom of God. But there is no velvet rope. There is no skipping lines. There is no private table with your own personal waiter no special service. This is an up close and personal view to Jesus dying on the cross. And he is letting them know that if you want to be great like me, there's going to be a cross just for you. Jesus tells them in Matthew that they're going to go before governors and kings 
But they're not going to be going before governors and kings pontificating. They're going to be put to trial for what they taught. See, if you want to be promoted, there will be some pain. If you want access to the treasure, there's going to be some trouble. If you want to be in the highlights, you're going to feel some heat. These disciples were arguing about what it means to be the greatest. So Jesus was like, let me give you a better understanding of exactly what this means. First point, and I won't be before you long. First point is repetition. Let the church say repetition. Repetition Repetition to repeat. To say again something that has already been said. To do something again. Either once or a number of times. To do again. An action or an event that occurs once or will be coming again. Synonyms, redo, replicate, rehash, duplicate. Repetition. Jesus is telling them again that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He is going to be killed and rise again on the third day. Now he just told them that in chapter 8. I don't know because we preached it last week. But guess what? He's telling them again. And he's going to tell them again and again. They will have to hear it again until they understand. And I can certainly relate to having to tell people something over and over again. Having to repeat yourself. Having to come up with another way to say something so that people can understand it. But I can also relate to being told something again and again. Having to hear the instructions repeatedly to make sure I got it. Having to internalize it. Having to repeat it to myself until I know it by heart. Tony Robbins says that repetition is the mother of all skill. Zig Ziglar says repetition is the mother of learning, the father of of action, which makes it the architect of accomplishment. If you want to be great at anything, you have to practice. If you want to be great at something, you have to repeat it. There's a psychologist by the name of Anders Ericsson that says it takes 10,000 hours of practice for anything in order to obtain mastery. You want to play the piano? You can't just sit down at a piano and just belt off the good tunes. No, you have to practice. First, you have to learn where the notes are. Then you have to learn how to read. Then you have to learn the chords. Then you have to learn some music theory so you can understand whether or not music is following the rules. You have to practice. The better you are at something, the better when you see somebody that is good at anything that is great. They didn't just roll out the bed doing it. There might have been some time when they weren't actually that good. But they had to spend some time training, had to spend some time studying, had to be around people who were better than them so that they could learn something. Practice. Repetition, doing it over and over again. And so Jesus is letting them know that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and the Son of Man is going to die and rise again from the third day. And you have to tell them over and over again because eventually they're going to have to tell people over and over again. And then when they tell people over and over again, those people are going to tell people over and over again. And then somehow, 10,000 later, on the beautiful island of Galveston, we'll be talking about Jesus who died. Did he die? 
died into the moon, was dipped in blood, died into the earth, reeled and rocked like a natural man, died into the centurion, said, surely, surely, this must be the son of God. If it wasn't repeated, it wouldn't be spread out. And we wouldn't understand if the story wasn't repeated, we wouldn't understand about early, early Sunday morning, him getting up with all power in his hand. Repetition. So we have to constantly repeat things. We have to constantly repeat our study of the Bible. Five chapters a day, you can read the Bible in a year, cover to cover. But just because you read it one time, cover to cover, don't mean you understand everything. Just because you go to school for it, don't mean you understand everything. Just because you get up in front of people and preach it, don't mean you understand everything. You have to keep repeating it over and over again. We have to repeat our prayer life. We can't just pray one time and think that we've got it. We can't just pray one time and think that that's all that needs to be said and done. We have to repeat our prayer. We have to repeat our study. We have to repeat our fellowship. We can't just go to church on Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter and think we understand what it means to be a Christian. How much time are we spending praying? How much time are we spending reading our Bibles? How much time are we spending with God? That is the only way to get better at it is to practice. Repetition. Next point is reservation. Let the church say reservation. Uh, the disciples didn't want to answer when Jesus asked them what they were arguing about. And there are two things that I take from the text. Uh, sometimes it's a good thing to be quiet. They were already in a bit of trouble. So it's best sometimes to just keep your mouth shut. If you keep your mouth shut, you might not get in any more trouble. Now, I wasn't one who got in trouble a lot growing up, but I know a couple kids that did. And uh, the problem that I would see with a lot of the kids is they would keep trying to state their case. They would keep trying to argue more and more. They would keep trying to back talk their parents. And back talking your parents got you in more trouble than you were originally in. So eventually you are no longer in trouble for what you did. You're in trouble for your bad attitude. And whereas you could have gotten just talking to about it and how been told how disappointed they were in you and how you need to do better, now you might just be getting a whooping. Because uh, you kept running your mouth. Now you might just be getting your PlayStation taken away because you're running your mouth. Now you might just be in detention a little longer where you could have just been told to stop doing it and go on. Now you've got weeks of detention because you were not reserved. You did not keep it to yourself. You didn't want anybody to buffalo you, so you got to give them a piece of your mind. You really shouldn't be giving people a piece of your mind, but you need to keep all the mind you have. Be reserved. Don't say everything you think. Because if you say everything you think, people might find out you don't know really that much. What's the adage say? Uh, uh, better to be quiet and people assume you don't know anything than to open your mouth and confirm it. Reservation. Now is not the appropriate time to be concerned 
about who is the greatest. At that time, it was about being concerned with the work of the kingdom. Second thing I take from the text is though even though they thought Jesus didn't know what was going on, Jesus did know what was going on. And I take comfort in that. Understanding that I can be in a situation and I think don't nobody understand. But I have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I have somebody that will look beyond my faults and see my needs. No matter what's going on, I got somebody that understands what's going on. My friends may not understand. My family may not understand. But Jesus does. He understands exactly what was going on. And not only does he understand exactly what was going on, he understands what you need to fix it. So the best person that we need to give our problems to, the best person to understand our situation is Jesus. Jesus will work it out. So we got the repetition in the path to be great. And we have reservation. We have to practice what we need to do to get better at it. And we ought not say everything that's on our mind. Repetition and reservation. And then we have a resolution. Let the church say resolution. It's a resolution, but it's also a reversal. Jesus provided a resolution to their problem. He said, if you want to be the greatest, you have to put in some work. You will have to serve instead of be served. People that I know that are great at what they do, they work. And they work hard. And they work even harder. They don't care about what title they have. They let their gifts make room for them. They get to the top not because they are better than anybody else. They get there because they work harder than anybody else. One of my favorite producers, Leon Lewis, a writer and a producer, said it, and I'll never forget it. He was sitting in a room full of a bunch of professional musicians discussing the next couple of live recordings they were going to do for national recording artists. And he was the one in charge. And he was not necessarily a big name. I think he's a big name, but compared to some of the people that he was going to be in charge of, they were bigger. And he said, not necessarily to put them down, but just to let him know about his work ethic, that he said, I may not be the most talented musician. You might be able to play better than me, but what you won't do is outwork me. Watching him at work, learning songs from five and six in the morning until well past midnight, go to sleep, get back up and practice again. That's how he was able to become a great musician. To the point that we were doing one recording and some of the musicians were listening on the laptop to what they had practiced the night before and he was asleep on the stairs but he was sitting next to the computer where he was asleep and they were playing and he woke up in the middle of his sleep. Yeah, we need to fix that part right there. When we get to this, we need to do this, this, and this. And went back to sleep. If you want to be the greatest, you have to put in the work. You have to understand that to get to the top, sometimes you're going to have to go through a valley. 
But when you get to the mountaintop, you'll appreciate it that much more. It will be that much sweeter because you put in the work. There's a particular bishop I listened to. Uh, he's not Methodist, but he's a bishop of another denomination, and uh, he's pretty successful. And one of the things he says is that when people come to his church and have gotten the calling to be in ministry, he puts them with the custodians. You know, when you are a bishop of multiple churches and multiple churches that have thousands of people, you know, people get their calling a little, little uh, easier because they think that because they went to a multi-thousand member church that once they get their calling, they're just going to, the pastor's just going to put them on stage in front of all of the big people and be great. No, 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 no. You have to put in the work. He said... Uh, he doesn't care how big, how good you can whoop, how good you can squelch and modulate and change keys with your runs. All of that preaching you can do, he wants to know, can you sweep? Can you clean a bathroom? Can you pick up around the lawn of the church? To be great, you have to be the least. You know, I run into a lot of people that think because I came from Windsor Village, which is one of the largest Methodist churches in the country, that somehow all I did was preach at big events and that it's all great. No, 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 no. There were events that I preached at, at Windsor Village, where it was me and my wife. <laughs> We had a band, but they led praise and worship and walked right out the door when it was time to take the text. So it was literally me and my wife. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be willing to serve. And not only do you have to be willing to serve, you have to be willing to deal with failure. As we read the gospel according to Mark, it's a little bit more, some would argue, pessimistic because you see the disciples actually mess up at their job a couple of times. You see them not necessarily get what Jesus is saying to them. You know, Matthew is a little more favorable because it puts the church in a good light. But the gospel according to Mark, he says, how long am I going to have to be with y'all until y'all understand what I'm doing? Here they try to cast out demons and they fail. They have to call on Jesus. And these are people that are eventually will be the pillars of the church. These will be the people responsible for spreading this thing we have called Christianity all over the world. We're thousands of miles away from where this was going on. And here we're watching them fail, but eventually they get it right. You have to deal with failure. Steve Jobs was fired from a job <laughs> that he started. Can you imagine starting your own business and the people that you put on tell you we don't need you anymore and you created this and then have to go back and do a whole bunch of other things to create something better and now 
everybody knows what an iPhone is. If you don't have an iPhone, you still know what it is. You still know what an iPad is. You still know what a MacBook Pro is. They have taken over. Thomas Edison, 10,000 failed inventions. 10,000. I can only imagine how many times somebody probably told him you should give this up. This inventing thing is really not from you. This is really not your thing. This is, you should look into something else. But he kept pushing. He kept going on. He kept going forth. After 10,000 failed inventions, we all care about having lights on now, though, don't we? That's his job. If you really want to be the first, you have to understand what it is to be the last. So we have repetition. We have to practice being Christians if we want to be great. We have to practice everything and do it repeatedly. We, we, we have the reservation. We ought not say everything that's on our mind. We ought to be able to keep quiet sometimes. And we have the resolution. If you want to be the greatest, you got to be the less, the least. And then we have reception. Let the church say reception. Uh, he says he then took a child. A little child and set him in the midst of them and when he had taken him in his arms he said whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but the one who sent me something gets lost in the reading of the text and I had to learn this myself in studying it as well you know a lot of times when we teach this text and we talk about children in general in the Bible We talk about innocence. We talk about faith. We talk about obedience. You know, don't let yourself be stained, be innocent like a child. Believe this thing that we say about God like a child. Just take it on face value. Be obedient like a child. Do what you're told. But there is something that gets lost in the reading when he takes this child into his mind. It's more than just believing without skepticism. It's more than just how to be an obedient child. There's more to Jesus telling men traveling in the group to receive a child. See, when they traveled, and really in general, uh, they had a social hierarchy, a ranking system of people, and men were at the top, and then women were at the below that, and sometimes, depending on what was going on, people put their slaves above the women. It just depended on what kind of culture you were. And so women weren't necessarily treated that well, but you know who was treated even worse? The children. The children were almost nine persons. The child would have been with the women away from the men at this point in time when Jesus is talking to everybody. The child would have been invisible. He would not have been there. They didn't care much for children as a culture in general during those times to the point that when like Romans or Greeks that did not have children needed to adopt somebody just so they could pass on the inheritance, they would adopt an adult before they adopt a child. Children were invisible. Children were invisible in this society and Jesus was saying, receive the children. Look for the invisible people. Look for the people that you may not have ever talked to. Look for the people that you wouldn't normally consider worth talking to because they didn't 
look like you, didn't talk like you, wasn't from the same area as you, wasn't your kind of people. If you are going to be great, you are going to have to go where people don't normally go. If you are going to be great, you are going to have to go where you don't normally go. You are going to have to talk to people that you normally don't talk to. They might not have your skin color. English might not be their first language. They might not be as educated as you. They might live in an apartment complex you roll by and with the doors locked. If you want to be great, Jesus is saying you have to receive the invisible people. Those you don't talk to, those you don't hang around with, those you may not even like. Our biggest commandment, Jesus said, is to love God and to love people. So we're going to have to receive them. And he says in the text that he took them into his arms. When you take something into your arms, it's got to be close. You are going to have to bring some people, places, and things close to your chest that you may not have even looked at before if you want to be great. Why? Because God demonstrated his own love for us. The Bible says in Romans 5 and 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, concerning this thing, I pled with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will gladly, I'd rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ rest upon me. Grace, the unmerited favor. We don't deserve what Jesus did for us, but he did it for us anyway. He didn't have to do anything he did for us, but he did it for us anyway. So therefore, we got to be glad about the grace and understand that what if someone had thought about us like that? What if we were invisible to somebody else and they decided not to talk to us? We would be lost. It says that John, uh, John 1, 15 through 17, John bore witness of him, crying out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. We need to receive others because Jesus received us. He said, servant of all, if you want to be great. Jesus said, servant of all. He went to Calvary for all. He got on that cross for all. He died for all. But he got up for all. So if he can do this for all, who are we to deny others the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Who are we to others to exclude them from our church? Who are we from others not to spread the good news of Jesus Christ so that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life? Who are we to think that we are better than anybody else? We're nothing but filthy rags. We are sinners lost. 
saved by grace. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.